This is your Wednesday Daily Delivery. I am Michael Rand. We have a lot to get to today. A big baseball show. Thad Levine, general manager of the Minnesota Twins, will be with me in just a little bit. And after that, Lavelle E. Neal III, new columnist, former baseball writer for the Star Tribune, will join me uh, to talk about his column in Wednesday's Star Tribune about Jose Barrios. But first, what did I miss? Well, the big news in... Maybe this qualifies still as big news, even if it's expected news. The Vikings released tight end Kyle Rudolph. He had been their longest tenured player, uh, 10 seasons with the Vikings uh, for for tight end Kyle Rudolph. Really, you know, strong career. I think 453 catches. That's fifth all time for the Vikings, not among, you know, tight ends. That's fifth all time. So, you know, showing the role he had, but the role that had been diminished, um, you know, and he had expressed his displeasure on a different <clears throat> podcast, uh, Ben Lieber's Unrestricted podcast in January, saying he didn't want to take a pay cut, didn't understand, you know, why his his role had been diminished necessarily from, you know, being a, a primary pass catcher for a lot of years to more of a blocking tight end. So, you know, in all of this, the thing that I don't quite get to is why didn't he get used more in a in a pass catching role, I, I think he his maybe his skill base had diminished a little bit. He wasn't you know quite the same tight end he was when he came into the league, but still a valuable red zone target. Seemed like he and Kirk Cousins were going to be a natural fit um, when Kirk Cousins arrived in 2018. Instead, Rudolph's catches went down each year with Cousins. 64 catches his first year with Cousins as QB in 2018, 39 in 2019, and then just 28 last season so you know you can see the role diminishing Irv Smith's prominence coming into play but still a guy who could catch you a nice touchdown in the red zone and maybe wasn't used to his fullest capabilities and let's see how much he has left in the tank uh, for the rest of his career. I'm Nyla Jean Myers senior assistant sports editor at the Star Tribune. Thank you for listening to Strip Sports Daily Delivery. This work is made possible by our Star Tribune subscribers. For unlimited access to the articles mentioned in this podcast and our coverage of Minnesota sports from pros to preps, go to startribune.com slash subscribe. Happy to be joined today by Thad Levine, general manager of the Twins. He is down in Florida. I am not. Um, some jealousy kicking in uh, right off the bat. But uh, Thad, thanks for joining me today. You're getting top billing um, on the podcast today. I just want you to know that uh, you're getting top billing, so you should know. I am, I am truly honored and happy to join you guys. <laughs> A true, a true honor. Um, I mean, let's let's start. Um, the Twins have played a couple spring games now, and you know you had the opener Sunday, and even though it's just a couple thousand fans in the stands at Hammond Stadium or down, you know, down in Florida right now, what what do you think the difference is atmosphere wise? You know, especially compared to the sixty game regular season you had last year, when you're at least allowed to have a little bit of that fan interaction, and you can hear that as a player in, in the game. I think the the response we've heard from our players is this was, in their minds, the first step towards returning to normalcy. And I think, unfortunately, the reality is uh, they just didn't realize how much they depended on the fans' noise, presence, uh, to buoy them until it was taken away from them. And then last year, I think it was a real void for, for our players. I would say just objectively, our team – it really thrives off of the emotions of the fans. It, we are we are a little bit of an emotional team. We play with some personality and some enthusiasm, some emotion. And I think when you're required to generate that singularly by yourself, 
uh, it proves to be a pretty daunting task. And so I think the fans' presence, you mentioned it was, it was a limited crowd here yesterday, but quite frankly, I think it could have been a capacity crowd in their minds. Just seeing people walk through the gates, seeing the enthusiasm, hearing the, the crowd noise throughout the game, I think really energized our players and will it will have a real positive impact for our guys. Roster wise, I think a lot of us, myself included, uh, sat there in December, maybe a little bit of January, like, what are the what are the twins doing? When are they gonna make some moves? Come on, let's go. And then all of a sudden, you know, like it happens so often, there, there's a flurry of moves. Take me through the offseason from your perspective. And are you happy with the way things ended up playing out in terms of who you were able to add versus what was subtracted from this team? Well, uh, you said the fans and yourself got a little bit impatient. I have a a 10 now 11 year old son who was giving me the stink eye every morning asking me <laughs> what the heck I was doing at work. Cause I sure as sure as hell in his mind, what wasn't helping the team out. So uh, I got that pressure put on me every single day from one of the number one twins fans in my life. Uh, you know, this was such a unique off season. And I think we knew that going in our strategy each off season is to do the best we possibly can to maintain objectivity, understand we have a plan and that we have, kind of a, an end date, which is really closer to opening day now, nowadays, rather than even the opening of spring. Uh, and we saw, as you mentioned, we saw a lot of players go off the border. We saw the Chicago White Sox make some very aggressive moves. Uh, a team that we thought was extremely competitive last year took some real meaningful steps uh, forward in the beginning of the offseason. We were one of the most aggressive teams uh, at the outset. We're aware of that. I don't think we want to ever react to that. We, we did hear the the kind of concern from the fans as the urgency started to mount there. But I will say like throughout the process, we still, we still had a plan and I wouldn't tell you that it was plan a that we followed soup to nuts. Like it just, you can't, you're not afforded that. And so I think we're constantly working a variety of different plans. I think ultimately where we arrived, we feel very good. You know, it is a, a huge boon that you walk into the off season with the backbone of what we felt was an extremely competitive club. Yes, we did lose a lot of players to free agency, some of whom were very important to our team in the last year or two years. Uh, but by, by adding back Nelson Cruz, I think that was a, a significant move for us, not only from an on-the-field performance, but also from a clubhouse leadership standpoint. Bringing in a guy like Jay Happ, I think we feel helped stabilize and raise the floor for our starting rotation. Uh, adding on to that Matt Shoemaker, I think adds another quality depth uh, starter to our, our group a guy that we know we're going to need to tap into as we grind out the 162 games. Uh, adding it to the back end of our bullpen was something we wanted to do. Uh, we feel in getting Alex Colomay, we've got another guy capable of closing and pitching the last three outs of the game. So I think we feel those were significant moves. Now, the, the move that probably was a little surprising to our fans, and quite frankly, objectively speaking, wasn't necessarily our first plan of attack this offseason, but when the opportunity to discuss it, a deal with Andrelton Simmons came to pass. I think it was something that we were very intrigued by. And we feel as if uh, two years ago, the, the team kind of matured into being the Bomba squad. And here we are with an opportunity to add somebody who is as high in a run preventer as there is in the game. And the prospect of having uh, Andrelton Simmons and Byron Buxton duke it out for the platinum glove, which is the best defender in the American league, seems like a very fun thing for our fans to be able to watch over the course of this year. So maybe this iteration of the Twins, uh, while I think we still have a potent lineup, may lead with uh, pitching and defense. And I think we felt with Simmons' addition, we got better defensively at shortstop. We probably got better defensively at second base. And now we may have one of the best super utility players in the game in Luis Arias. 
regular seasons is a little different, but does it give you more ways to win? Um, particularly, I'm I'm fixated on it. I think a lot of a lot of fans are. I'm I'm sure maybe your your 10, 11 year old uh, son is also uh, fixated on it. Like you know, when you get to October, when you get to the playoffs, if you are fortunate enough to get back to that point, did the last two postseasons demonstrate that there need to be more paths to a victory, or did that inform at all the the desire to get better in, in certain ways or to diversify the way you can win? I, I think we viewed our team as very talented and very strong. So the, the, the blessing for us as we're trying to put together the final touches on a championship team is well, we're starting from such a great jumping off point. And so there really weren't too many ways in our estimation to improve the team. I do think we felt defense was one way that we could do so. And your, your point's extremely valid, which is, I think it's incumbent upon us and then ultimate to, to provide Rocco with personnel that is as dynamic as possible. And then, uh, and then Rocco has to deploy that talent towards an ends of using them as creatively as he can to win. So bringing in weapons that can contribute on different facets of the game, I think allows for us to win games by preventing runs and not always having to win games by creating runs. And so during facets of the season. And one of those, as you illuminated, could be the playoffs when it's very difficult to come by offensive bursts, uh, being able to prevent that extra run from crossing the plate. You'd be the difference between winning and losing. I've expressed this opinion both on this podcast and in, in writing. And so have my, some of my colleagues, um, again, I'm already, you know, it's early March. I'm already thinking about October. That's the nature of the beast. Convince me that you have enough pitching, both starting and in, in the bullpen that, that that's going to get it done in October. We have enough pitching. Okay. That's that? just... well, <laughs> okay. I, I think, I think you're, you're hitting on a point, which is a valid question probably each and every year, but never more so than this season. And, and this is the reason why. I think one of the things that we are sitting really struggling with is trying to understand coming off of a shortened season last year where our standard bearers from an innings pitch standpoint, uh, Maeda and Burrios both accumulate somewhere in the mid sixties in innings pitch in a traditional year, we would view it as particularly concerning to ask a pitcher who only accumulated 65 innings to jump up to 180 innings. Now, objectively, we do have to factor in that we had a full spring training last year. We had a secondary summer camp and also that Wes Johnson kind of really expertly had these guys pitching on an every fifth day rotation when they were away from camp. So I don't think we view that they only threw 65 innings, but nonetheless, they certainly didn't get close to their normal uh, seasons outputs of 160 to 190 innings pitched. So I think like almost every front office, we walked into this offseason thinking if in doubt, add more pitching because you just never know where you're going to need it. Hence the additions of guys like Matt Shoemaker and Jay Happ. I think we're really bullish on our starting rotation as it currently sits for opening day. What we're also equally excited about is the guys that we may have starting at double A and triple A. We think we've got the next lines of defense lined up well. Now, one thing that we're having active dialogue about, and it will ultimately be up to Rocco and Wes Johnson to determine this, is is this a type of season that you're a little bit more open-minded to going with a six-man rotation? Or do we have more of a conventional piggyback where we really kind of start guys off a little bit slower and don't expect them to throw six innings in their first outing? I think one thing Wes has done such a nice job of is when the, when the schedule allows to push pitchers back and give them an extra day of rest, we take advantage of it for the whole staff. Uh, we may see skipping guys from time to time, but our goal, as you referenced, is to stay strong through the finish of the season because we have aspirations to, to play well into October. 
if we're going to do that, we're going to need to get creative as to how we deploy our pitching throughout the course of the year. We think we have the personnel to do it, uh, but I think time will tell if we're accurate on that front. A couple more things, and we'll let you get back to the uh, the sunshine of Florida. You know, it doesn't feel like when you have a roster like you have that, that's been successful, it doesn't feel like there's a ton of spring training battles that are going to play out. But are there particular players that you're interested in getting a, a closer look at or that you know maybe are off the radar a little bit at this point from, from the, the casual fan? Well, I think you know, you've got a, a, a grouping of our young prospects, most of whom are like getting close to being household names for our or more ardent fans who are now in their second and in some cases third spring training. So it's no longer just, oh, it's, it's great to see Trevor Lornick here. Maybe he could do something. I think he feels like he belongs. And so I'm really interested to see that stable of prospects perform in games and see how, how they compete. Uh, you know, it's not just they're on the outside looking in and they're two, three years away and whatever they do is, is great. And we're going to try to get them 10 plate appearances and get them out of camp. You know, these guys are really trying to establish themselves as much as we just talked about the next line of defense pitching wise. These guys are trying to establish how far up the pecking order they are as the next line of defense from a position player standpoint. So that group particularly intrigues me. I think you, what you said at the outset is dead on. You know, sometimes you look at it and we've got 74 players in camp. We'll have 75 when Simmons arrives. And people think, wow, you got to cut from 75 down to 26 in practice. We really don't have that many spots that are genuinely up for grabs. Those that are, are very intriguing. You know, I think we have a decision to make. Are we going to start the year? Well, 26 players, we're going to start with 14 pitchers or 13 pitchers. And I think that goes back to the previous question you asked is, do we go to the extent to protect our pitching to add the extra body at the beginning of the year and allow the pitchers to stabilize on a more uh, fluid basis rather than being thrust into action? But if we are going to go to 14 pitchers, there are a lot of guys who will be in consideration for those last couple spots. Similarly, if we go to 13 position players, uh, you know, I think a few of the spots, the extra position players are spoken for, but there's at least one or two that are up for grabs. And there are a lot of intriguing names in the camp right now that would be competing for those spots. One of those prospects that we know probably the best, Royce Lewis, out uh, you know for the season. Unfortunately, he's you know how, how concerned are you? Not just that he you know has the ACL tear, has the has the surgery to repair that, but also didn't have a minor league season a year ago. You're going to have your number one pick from 2017, basically going two seasons without kind of competitive baseball at the very least. I think you've already hit on one of the major topics that has haunted us this whole offseason, and that is how do you prepare for pitching? coming off of an abbreviated season. Now you're illuminating the second, which is what do we make of a gap in our development for our best players? And now Royce Lewis benefited from being in St. Paul last year and being at the alternate site. So he at least had an abbreviated season to develop. Uh, But so many of our players were sitting at home. Uh, They were playing catch in their backyard with their dad or brother or friend um, and really did genuinely miss a full year of development. And uh, we're hopeful that we're going to get this minor league season up and running. So for Royce, he at least benefited from having some time last year. It's a huge blow. I'm not going to, I'm not going to color it anyway, but that I will say, I think with these moments of supreme adversity come growth opportunities. And and one thing that I challenged Royce to do is when he comes up to the big leagues and achieves what we all believe he can, he's going to have a chance at some point to wear a C on his chest. And he's going to have a real impact in the clubhouse and in, on the field as well. And I think what he can do right now is learn how to be the best supporting player he can be. Go out there, watch baseball games uh, when Fort Myers gets up and running and help guys win baseball games when you're not able to play. I think that then 
will lend itself to his development, not only as a premium player, but as a championship caliber player. And the distinction for me there is the capability and the desire and the acumen to help players around you become better. I think those are skills he can hone during a time in which he's going to do something he's never done in his career, which is sit the bench. Thad Levine, general manager, Minnesota Twins. Great stuff. Appreciate you joining the podcast. Let's do this again somewhere else down the line, okay? Michael, thanks for having me on. Truly enjoyed it. I still don't 100% agree with Thad Levine that they have enough pitching, uh, particularly when it gets to October. Time will tell, kind of like he said. But one of those pitchers that could change my mind is someone that uh, Lavelle Enil III wrote about in his Wednesday column, Jose Barrio. So I'm going to bring in Lavelle here and talk a lot about you know the, the Twins pitcher who's kind of at a crossroads in his career. He's had a nice career so far, but is looking to take the next step this season. Twins Super Show continues right now with Lavelle Enil III checking in from Florida. Columnist Lavelle Enil III, although he's still writing baseball right now, covering uh, some some Twins spring training angles. Uh, Lavelle, how you doing? I'm doing great, man. It's uh, good to talk to you, and it's great to be in an area where uh, you know there's sunshine and some warmth. And although. Well, I guess the weather back home isn't that bad right now. I mean, yeah, I'm going to get outside running today. I might throw some shorts on. It's looking like a little bit of shorts weather, Lavelle, for, for those of us who, you know, grew up in the upper Midwest, 50 degrees qualifies as shorts weather. Um, maybe not for you, but uh, I've lived there long enough now to know that uh, once it gets to 50 degrees, I see people out biking and running. So, yeah. yeah. You got to expect it. Um, your debut column was Sunday, kind of an introduction, get to know me kind of thing. But uh, Wednesday's paper and StarTribune.com baseball column on uh, Jose Barrio. So I want to spend some time talking about what's the column about. First off, what what's your what's your take on Jose Barrios? Well, the thing that struck me is, as someone who's been able to kind of cover him from the from the beginning of his career is that um, how much more efficient he is about his work habits and his um, what's he trying to accomplish during bullpen sessions. Like, you know, he's not trying to just put the ball with the plate now. He's trying to work the corners. He's trying to work up and down. Um, he's trying to spot all his pitches. He has a plan. These five pitches, I'm doing this. These five pitches, I'm doing that. Then I'm going down. Then I'm going up. Um, he's working hard on executing, uh, even in really unimportant bullpen sessions you know he faced live hitters last week and he came out of it you know you know fired up and you know Rocco Baldelli thought that uh Brios looked like ahead of, ahead of schedule in terms of his, his command and his control of his pitches and you know just talking with Jose and it's going to be in my column too is that you know last time we saw him in the game he pitched uh great against the against the uh Astros in game two of the wildcard series and got lifted after 75 pitches in five innings in which he gave up one run um, I'm not saying, you know, that's the reason they lost the game because we all know that the offense just stopped hitting, but, um, for Barrios to take his game to the next level, he's going to become that guy where, you know, Rocco doesn't even think about lifting him after 75 pitches, you know, in a playoff game. And so and it, it's on his mind because when I brought it up to him is he immediately dropped his head, you know, cause it brought back <laughs> yeah. him being t- taken out early. And he said, yes, I did use that as a motivation this off season. So uh, he wants to take his game to the next level and he's going to turn 27 during his season. And he's had five years in the majors and he's 48 and 38, I believe in his career. It's about time. If he's going to, if he's going to ascend to another level of effectiveness, that it's about that time for his experience and his talent to kind of intersect. Twins would be a different team if he became that pitcher and he's become that pitcher in stretches, never for, 
a full season. He's he's been a good pitcher. He's been a I'd say he's better than a middle of the rotation pitcher, especially with his stuff and some of his peripheral numbers. He gets the strikeouts. He he can pitch like a dominant pitcher. But you're right. If if they are going to be more than just a a threat to make the playoffs, if they're a threat to you know do some actual damage in the playoffs to maybe win a playoff game at the very least. Mm-hmm. He makes a big difference because he's the kind of guy, along with what whatever we're going to see from Kenta Maeda this year, and then you got Michael Pineda, you got some depth guys with Jay Happ, but Barrios is a guy, you're right, that if he's on, if he takes another step, they're a different team, right? Yeah, and I, I would imagine that he probably um, was able to learn a little bit from Maeda last year because you could argue that uh, Kenta was one of those guys who pitched like an ace last year, finishing second into the – to Shane Bieber and the Cy Young Award voting. You know, he was headed to a big year. Would he have been able to sustain that for 30 starts? We don't know. But Maida was cooking uh, for the Twins last year. And someone like Barrios seeing that, that how Maeda works hard between starts and stays on the routine, um, make sure he's in the right, proper condition to pitch, I'm sure that rubbed, rubbed off on him. So it's just a matter of all this experience that he's gained over the last five years finally being activated to take his game to another level. And I think it's very possible. And like I said, I'm not saying that it's, he needs to become a Scherzer or a healthy Verlander or a healthy Kershaw, you know, or even a Bieber, but he can definitely be more than what he is. And that would be good enough. And that would be a big boom for this rotation. If all of a sudden you've got a one-two punch of Maeda and Barrios, two guys who, who can rip off seven, 15 to 18 wins and, uh, and, and kind of lead your team into the postseason. I feel like we've been waiting for this for a little yeah. while though on Brios, right? We've we've yeah. I think we've we've I don't know if we've done a version of of this story, you know, in, in past years where like, oh, he's right on the verge, he's right on the verge. Is there a point where we have to say he kind of is what he is or do you think there is that extra gear there? I think this should be determined over the next couple of years. He's eight, like I say he's turning 27 this year. You know, by the time he hits 29, 30, you know, maybe it may be it is what he is. But a lot of times, a lot of things kick in. I think Arietta's best seasons came when he was 29 and 30, pitching in the Cubs rotation with, with John Lester. So I think we're always impatient. And for the Twins, it's on multiple levels because when was the last time they developed a decent starting pitcher? Um, Matt Garza? And the last time they've drafted and developed a guy, it may be Garza. And so that's a little bit of a gap there uh, between, you know, drafting effective starters. Now, you've got a bullpen full of guys. Taylor Rogers was a starter. Duffy was a starter. Before Trevor May signed with the Mets, he, he was a starter when he came with the Phillies. Um, but a lot of guys who are relievers with the Twins now used to be starters, and they couldn't pack their starters. You've got to be able to develop your own starting pitching. Um, Cleveland has been considered one of the better teams in terms of that. But to be honest, if you look at Cleveland's success, they've made some shrewd trades because they traded for Carlos Carrasco. They traded for Corey Kluber. Uh, Bauer, I believe, came up with the Diamondbacks okay. in Cleveland. Um, now, Bieber's theirs. Plezak's theirs. Pluckle's theirs. They're all decent pitchers. Bieber's a very good pitcher. But, you know, they've been able to uh, make shrewd moves. They land some guys who end up being studs. The Twins, looks like, they, look like they've done that with Maeda. Trading Brudstar Gratel off from Maeda looks like it's a, a move that probably, both teams would probably be happy with. And the Dodgers have a guy who could become Kaling Jansen's replacement here. And the Twins have a guy who can be at the front of the rotation. Uh, but you got to figure out a way to keep developing pitchers. And when you go from Matt Garza to now in terms of developing effective starting pitchers, to me, that's a problem. And that was the kind of the Derek Falvey secret sauce coming in, right? Didn't he come from no. 
wasn't wasn't that a, a thing that he was you know credited with when he came from from Cleveland? Was that was part of the part of the development process there? Another thing with Barrios that's interesting is they he's he hasn't signed a long term contract, right? And he is a free agent, I think, after twenty twenty two. So this is a little bit of a a make or break year in terms of his long term future, isn't it? I mean, it, when when you don't have that extension yet, or you're thinking what what's what does that hold? Uh, I think that maybe the Twins want to see something this year as, as both sides probably think about how that long-term future plays out. Yeah, you're, you're exactly right, Mike. Um, and here's the thing, too. This is, this, is, uh, this is more on Brios than anything because the Twins have approached him in two different off-seasons about a contract extension or at least buy him out of arbitration. He said no. He was willing to bet on himself and, and say that I'm going to pitch well and then I'm going to make them come to me. You know, and it hasn't happened. He hasn't had that lights out year. He's had good years, but he hasn't had that lights out year. But long term, the Twins also have to realize that we got to keep a starting pitcher. We can't yeah. just about letting this guy walk because, to be honest with you, if he's a free agent after 2022, then you should be thinking about trading him in 2021. And this happens to be 2021. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so um, uh, so if, if they're out of it at midseason, are they going to entertain offers? Are they going to really think about this? I would argue no. Just because of the lack of, there's not a deep list of pitch, starting pitching prospects in our organization. You've got Jordan Balazovic and you got Johan Duran, who both of whom could maybe debut this year, but they're going to take their lumps like Barrios did for a couple of years before you can get something out of them. And then you got like the Blaine Enlows and the Bradley, I'm sorry, Bailey Overs of the world. And those are probably by far uh, their top four starting pitching prospects. Uh, I'm missing one, uh, Matt Cantonero. The other kid that throws 98. So they, they got some guys who look like they can be guys, but you, you never know. And there's a gap right now. Um, and I will give Falvey secret sauce nearly a blue ribbon because whatever they did to Meta got Meta to take his game to the next level. Uh, Michael Pineda, when he's not, you know, uh, being suspended by the league for blowing the PED test, uh, has been largely effective. And, um, uh, and other pitchers who aren't here anymore. Yeah, Jake Odorizzi is one, one name. Lance Lynn, Lance Lynn, Annabelle Sanchez also spent time here. And whatever the Twins told them to do to change their pitching, they started applying it where they went elsewhere and they become successful. So there is something here that's working with Falvey and, and uh, Wes Johnson. You know, they, they have ways to make pitchers better. And you hope that really kicks in for Brios this year. Um, I had Thad Levine on earlier in this podcast. He made it sound like they're excited about those guys you mentioned, the Duran, the uh, Jordan, uh, Balasovic, what, and that they could be contributors this year. Do you agree with that assessment, or do you think those guys are still going to be uh, a year off? Uh, they're going to have to be contributors this year. I think the Twins needed 11 starting pitchers last year to get through a 60-game season. And in most, most cases, teams need 10 starters just because of either a guy pitching himself out of the rotation or being injured. I saw Balazovich thrown in the bullpen uh, before last year's spring training started. And his, I could see good movement on his fastball, which means it had a lot of movement. And I watched Durant throw an inning during the um, summer training camp uh, when things started to ramp back up. And that pitch that they call a splinker, he throws a split-fingered sinker. Now, he got some weird looks from hitters because they had not seen movement on the pitch like that at a plus-90 uh, movement ever. So... The guys have talent, but can they command the zone and can they pitch? You know, they're still trying to figure out if they're if they can pitch or they're just throwing a ball to the plate, hoping that the hitter doesn't square it up. Last thing for you: any early impressions of being down in Florida? They've they've played a couple times. You got to see a little bit of live action. Anything standing out to you so far? 
Uh, I started, I started, I'm working on a project with Buxton. Um, and I had an introductory interview with him. And I. Is that project wrapping him in bubble wrap and keeping him healthy? No, that's my project if I had, if it had my way with just <laughs> a rubber suit. Him and Donaldson, by the way. Yes, he has gained about 21 pounds of muscle during the off season. And it shows. And he's claiming that the ball is jumping off his bat better than it was a year ago. That could be exciting. But, you know, the Buxton factor here is that he doesn't draw a lot of walks and he strikes out a lot. So if he's going to be that swing and miss, sale or fail guy, you know, at the plate, it could be good or bad for the Twins. Um, he still thinks he's going to steal 30 bases in the season. I think he's going to hit 30 homers in the season first. And if he stays healthy, I think this could be the year. But that jumped out at me. Uh, Arias is in midseason form at the plate. He's already tracking pitches like he did last year and shaking his head when they're out of the strike zone. <laughs> um, Joe, that was, that, was, that was neat to see. Um, I wish I could see Andrelton Simmons but he's still working through visa issues out of Curacao. And today's news is that J.A. Happ has been cleared, so he joined the workout. And media is supposed to talk to J.A. Happ this afternoon, so you guys will be re- reading about J. It's pronounced... Jay. It's just J. Yep. Not J.A., is J. Happ. Sounds good. Well, good stuff, Lavelle. Be looking for your your baseball column in Wednesday's paper and on startribune.com, and I'm sure we'll check in with you a uh, bunch down in Florida and as the season goes along. Appreciate it, and uh, take care. Thanks a lot, Mike. Anytime. Let's end with the cooler. One thing that Thad Levine said that kind of caught my ear was that we were hoping to get the minor league season going, and that didn't strike me quite at the time, but then uh, news comes out that Major League Baseball is pushing back the start of the AAA season by at least a month, lining that up probably more with the start of the other minor league seasons in early May. And once you start to once you start to delay once, uh, delaying again becomes a lot easier. So let's let's see if those seasons really start on time, and if these prospects who missed, you know, 2020 ostensibly, except for some of them who got to you know play that short simulated season or whatever it was, you know, for for AAA as the Twins were able to do in St. Paul. Let's see if they actually get a real year of development. I think they think they will, especially as the vaccine rollout continues and the COVID numbers get better. But, you know, another strange year for prospects and, and another year where their their you know development could be called into question. That'll do it for today. Good show coming up on Thursday. We've got Andrew Kramer uh, covers the Vikings for the Star Tribune. I'm sure we'll talk some Kyle Rudolph. I'm sure we'll talk about Rick Spielman's Wednesday comments. And I'm sure we'll talk about his uh, upcoming story on Clint Kubiak. Friday, I am expected to be joined by Har Mar Superstar. Yes, uh, the the legend, the man himself, Sean Tillman, will join the show to talk about new music and uh, his love of halftime performances. So you won't want to miss that. Listen the rest of the week, download and subscribe, and we will catch you again on the Thursday Daily Delivery.